Hey, fantastic fans. I've just discovered the most unbelievable tennis time machine that you've got to check out. Goldenageoftennis.com is the world's leading retailer of retro tennis gear. They sell relaunch clothing designs from world-famous brands like Sergio Tacchini, Fila, and LS that were worn by absolute legends of the sport, like Borg and Connors, Becker. You can literally dress like your idols in these cool one-of-a-kind looks that will have everyone on the courts asking where you got them. Visit goldenageoftennis.com to get same-day worldwide shipping, plus 10% off at checkout with the promo code FANTASTIC. Bring vintage tennis back to the courts with goldenageoftennis.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I mean, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So, it happened before, it's going to happen again. This week's fan guest may have a complicated job I don't fully understand as a protein biochemist, but I definitely understand his fan love for today's guest. As an avid tennis player himself, living in the Flemish part of Belgium in Louvain, he's been following her career for over a decade, and he lists her 2014 Wimbledon upset of Serena Williams as his favorite fan moment. And if you've read her book, you know that upset runs a lot deeper than just tennis. Please welcome Nick Ballou. Nick, what's up? Hey, John, how are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for joining today. I'm interrupting your vacation, I think, by the way. Did you tell me you're in Cyprus? Yes, I am in Cyprus. But you know, for this guest, I would do anything. <laughs> what's the vibe for me? Can you please give me like a tourist commercial for Cyprus? Because it's been rainy in New York City. It's very loud outside. I need to live vicariously through you, please. You know, this may not be the best tourist sell, but I would classify it as kind of the Redneck Riviera. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm logging on to book flights for that. Yeah, I, I, I don't, it, you know, great weather. Okay, there we go. All right. That's fun, though. You're finding the, the nicements in the Redneck Riviera. Okay. Well, um, I'm still a little envious. It's fine. It's cool. It's cool. I have to say, when I went looking for our guest number one fan, I didn't have to look very long, Nick, because I had so many people message me immediately and they said I needed to contact you. I love it. I think it's so fun when everyone knows you're such a big fan of somebody. That's a great way to celebrate fan culture, especially in the tennis world. So we're a passionate bunch. We're going to have fun today. I'm just as excited to get to know her as you are. So let's bring her out, especially after reading that book, which we're going to talk about. Our player guest today first popped onto tennis radars as a 15-year-old at the 2005 French Open. Whereas a wild card and ranked 645 in the world, she would stun a top 70 player in her Grand Slam debut. She would later solidify her status as the newest French tennis hope, as she'd complete her successful junior career by winning the 2007 French Open girls title. And then, later that summer, she'd come through qualifying to defeat future Grand Slam champions Sam Stoser and Caroline Wozniacki back-to-back -back matches in her US Open debut. Her initial transition to the WTA Tour would be as successful as her two-handed backhand. And in 2008, she would already advance to the prestigious Italian Open final and win the first of six career WTA singles titles at the Budapest Grand Prix in Hungary. The names of players she's defeated throughout her career read like a who's who of former number ones and future Hall of Famers like Halep, Kerber, Bardi, Muguruza, and Venus Williams. And in 2014, she'd become the first player since Justine Enna in 2007 to defeat the GOAT, Serena Williams, in three consecutive matches. 
With a career high ranking of 11 in the world, our guest continues to play inspired tennis in her 18th year of playing professional tournaments. So much inspiration, in fact, that she's written a très magnifique autobiography in both French and English, with the English version entitled Transcendence, the Diary of a Tennis Addict. She's helped France win both the Fed Cup and Hotman Cup. She's a four-time Olympian. And yes, sometimes she says vamos, and sometimes she likes to say allez. She's here today to talk about her remarkably consistent career that has seen her compete in 59 straight Grand Slams and finish well within the top 100 for the past 15 seasons on tour. 15 years. That absolutely takes talent. And our guest today has plenty of it. It's the fantastique. Alize Cornet. Alize Buenvenue! Hey guys! Wow, when I hear everything, like uh, I'm blushing. It's so cool. Yeah. Welcome to Fantastic Tennis. It's so great to meet you. Thanks for joining today. Thank you. It's an honor for me. Thank you for inviting me. Where are you right now? Are you home in France? I'm home, yes, in Cannes, south of France, which is uh, the best region of the world, I'd say. I mean, for sure. I mean, you're a jet setter. I love it. I mean, last week you're in Luxembourg, you're in the south of France, you're going to Indian Wells, you know, very soon. I took the seven train to Queens the other day. So, you know, I know what fancy is. It's cool. <laughs> oh, man. All right. We're covering some cool places in Europe tonight, team. So I'm very proud of us. It's kind of giving me some Eurovision vibes tonight a little bit. You know, I think we represent everywhere, I would say. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> you sing a little bit too, I think, right? Do you sing? I No, no, better not. <laughs> I, I can dance somehow but okay. singing is not my thing okay all right i saw it on instagram <laughs> oh yeah that's true i did a duo with a friend yeah i remember that <laughs> try to forget it but <laughs> is eurovision cool in europe or no am i just the one that it likes is. it in america no okay. it is we're watching it very closely okay good because i get pretty obsessed yes. with it i mean we have a party really? oh i love it <laughs> i'm the only american that we have a party every year i love tacky music i'm a big tennis fan and a big music nerd so it's good. It's good. Good point. Good point. Something else I'm very obsessed with, Alize, is your longevity. You've been playing at such a high level for so many years. And when I started taking a deep dive into your career after reading your book, I didn't realize you played your first senior professional ITF match at 14 years old. Yeah. All the way back in 2004. I think that's insane. That is insane. You're <laughs> playing your 18th year professional tennis. So it deserves a party. And today I have your biggest fan, Nick, here. And we're going to celebrate 18 years of Alize Cornet Tennis. So we have a lot to talk about. Let's jump right in. Let's do it. You have a nickname, by the way. <laughs> I, I have some nicknames, but <laughs> it's mostly like French nicknames. So you, you wouldn't get it. Sorry about that. But I'm not proud of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking if you're in the States, for sure, if you go to, do you drink coffee? I don't. Okay, good. Because at Starbucks, yeah. they would have called you Liz Cornette oh, or something. No, I, 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 I always say Alice at the Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. They, they cannot say Alize and it's, I don't think it exists over there. No, <laughs> no Americans love to mangle a good name. So yes. Do you know that it's a, it's the name of, the, of a wind, of a Pacific wind? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a wind uh, that is uh, blowing uh, in Tahiti, I believe. It sounds way nicer than Cyprus right now. I would, I yes, Alize. it does. <laughs> You sold it much better than, than Nick did. <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. Before we jump into the fascinating career of Alize Cornet, the wind, I'd like to start the pod with my favorite way to start any service game. 15 love. And that's 15 love. It's a super simple game. I'm going to throw 15 questions at you, Alize, mm -hmm. and you just respond as accurately as you did when you hit that lob on match point against Bianca Andreescu at Wimbledon. Oh, my God. I'll try my best. 
Such a good point, right? Such a good point. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a good one. One of the best match point I've ever played. <laughs> All right. Question number one. What was the first professional match you remember watching live or on television? Oh, my God. If you ask some kind of question, there are like 20 or 30 years old. Um, the first match, first match I watched on TV... I don't remember precisely because I remember watching TV very early in my in my life. Um, you know, Roland Garros is kind of a big tradition in France, especially in a tennis family like mine. And I remember watching Cédric Piolin. He used to be a, a really good French player. Of course. And I was a big fan of him. And I think that's the first player I remember watching on, on TV. But I can't remember the year or I, I, I think I was maybe five or six. It's okay. It's in the brain. I love that. I love those memories. Yeah. It's just like, uh, Nick, do you remember yours? What was your first tennis memory? How far back do you go? Oh gosh. I go back to, I would say Steffi versus Arancha at okay. Roland Garros. Yeah. Oh, classic one. Classic one. Classic. Classic. <laughs> All right. Alize, number two, we're going to go way back to 11 years old. Mm -hmm. Let's jump in our time machine. Let's go back to your very first job before you were playing tennis in front of thousands of people. We have a great supporter of the show in Paris, France, Stéphane Deris. Hello, Stéphane, if you're listening. He contacted me and he was actually the casting director for a TV movie. You no did back way. In the year 2000 <laughs> for the popular series called Les Instits. It's such a small world, right? I love this. I love it. it. You're such a good detective. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> gave me some inside scoop about you, actually, and about the casting process. You played the role of a young tennis phenom, Manon, with an abusive tennis father. Yeah. He did tell me your parents were far from that, by the way. He said they were very lovely. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but he did mm -hmm. tell me that you had such a great audition that they had to cast you and you beat a lot of great kid actors for the role. So that's a fun fact, everyone listening. Oh, wow. Also an actor. I, I, I didn't even know that, actually. I thought like it was convenient for, for them to pick me because I was playing tennis. I, and I knew I was, you know, I was a natural kid. I was just talking easy, but... I didn't know that I beat a lot of uh, yeah. kids actors. I have it. I have it in writing. It's the truth. What was your experience like shooting a big TV movie like that? Oh, well, it was amazing. It was three weeks, I remember, and I, I enjoyed it so much. Uh, just to get to know, you know, the behind the scenes of a of a TV movie. I got to meet so many great people, you know, and to just understand how it was working. And uh, now acting was definitely a lot of fun, but. When I came back on court after that, I was pretty relieved because I felt like, no, it was not my thing either, but definitely a great experience. When I watch the video now, oh my God, it's it's such a good souvenir that I, I would be able to show to my kids or to my friends now. It's so good. It's the coolest. I mean, he sent yeah. me some clip. You were in a food fight. I mean, there were so many cute <laughs> things that were happening. I was like, yeah, this is fun. This is cool. You should do it again. You should think yeah. about this in the future. Maybe. We'll maybe see. after career, you know, okay. if I get the chance, you never know what can happen. You never know. Dancing with the stars in France, maybe you said you dance oh. oh my god that that would be my dream oh you get something here that's my dream really is that the dream? oh yeah to participate to dance dance with the stars yeah i would love to i love it well yeah. there's not a grand tradition of tennis players on dancing with the stars though actually radwanska did pretty good right i Radwanska, i did it and actually cedric piolin did it but he was kicked out after for the first round oh, no <laughs> it was so bad monica sellis too navratilova they were both kicked out in the american version too they both did it i know oh my god okay so we have hope for so you. i have to do better have to have <laughs> Yeah, we subscribe to this. Okay, good. We're working on this. We're going to set this up later. All right, let's... question number three, Elise. With the recent success of a 100% vaccinated U.S. Open crowd, it looks like tennis has found a temporary solution for having fans back at events. But since the fan and fantastic is still the heart of this show, 
I'd love to know about your fan experiences from over the years. Can you remember a fan story through the decades that maybe stands out to you? Any strange or fun memories of fan culture? Yeah, I would say I have one or two stories about it. I remember maybe the first one was when I attended the Davis Cup final in Nice one year. It was, I think, 1999. I was nine years old and I went there with my tennis club. And I remember I was a big fan of Cedric Piolin and he was playing and they were playing against Australia. It was France, Australia. By the way, I'm so sorry, but that's the third time we've mentioned Cedric Piolin. I feel like you need to be on Cedric's show as the fan guest. I, I don't know. No, <laughs> I, was, I swear I was a fan of him for maybe like two years, but I don't know. It keeps coming back. I don't know why. <laughs> um, so there were Mark Filippoussis and many great players at this time. And at the end of the match, uh, Cedric lost and he, he takes off his wristband and throws it in the, um, in the crowd. And, and the wristband falls right at my feet. And instead of picking it up, I look at it um, and I'm like, oh, we never touched the thing because I was a fan, but I've never been a groupie. You know the difference? Like, I don't care about the, you know, the, the sweaty wristband of Cedric Piolin. I wanted to have a chat with him or to play with him. So everybody was coming to yeah. me and I was like, yeah, just take it. You know, I don't want, I don't want this thing. <laughs> so that was the first one. Was there any, was there anyone ever at a tournament that really came up to you? Did you meet ever like a Nick in your career where that was just like, oh my gosh, I'm such a big fan of yours or, you know. It was yes, like I, yes. I had the, the, the honor and the pleasure to have some people coming to me and, and talk to me and just express how excited they were to, to meet me and, yeah. and that they, they love watching me play and, and the way I was behaving on the court, the fighter I was. And no, it's, I mean, it's such a great feeling. We need more love in the world in general. So I agree. I agree. We're yeah. going to talk about love in a little bit. <laughs> I mentioned the U S open. Uh, you played your match on the big grandstand court. Was it strange having so many people watching you play live again? Was that a feeling that was a little I mean, unfamiliar from this year after COVID, right? Yeah. Well, we, we only played one season with empty stadium. So we kind of didn't have the time to get used to it, I'd say. And uh, when the crowd came back, it was weird at the beginning, but then we quickly um, got back to our, our, our habits, you know, and uh, this is so amazing to hear people like screaming and yelling and just enjoying themselves. So no, it was not that weird. And after like one match, it was not that weird anymore. Cool. All right, good. Because yeah. you're in New York and that's what we do. We scream and we yell. I mean, that's Oh, that's like... the best part of the US <laughs> Open. It's like how people, they, they leave the, the matches. They're like so into it. Into it. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. It's so great. All right. Question four. Yeah. Congratulations, because you've written your first book. Look how fun. This is so amazing. <laughs> this is so cool. I, I need to say that I didn't do the translation in English. One of my friends did it well, for me. And he was really good at it. So thank you, Florian. Florian did a great job. I, it was very easy for me to read. So I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, You've written your first book. I've read it. I'm so excited to talk about it. But before we dive in, I wondered, in the grand tradition of fantastic tennis autobiographies, which tennis autobiography would you say uh, is one that you've read or your favorite to have read? There's so many, right? We have so many great ones out there. Mm. Yeah, I didn't read a lot of them. Um, there is two that I really loved. Uh, the one from Yannick Noah, Ooh. you know, the last one that won the French Open yeah. in 1983. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's a, <laughs> a great singer, actually. I love his music. Um, and I think, I mean, André Agassi, right, with Open. It's so good. It's a classic. It's a classic. I mean, you need to, re you need to read that. I've read it. 
I loved it. I love yeah. hearing stories of players and, you know, we're such big tennis fans too. So this is an honor for us too, to get to hear your story through your book. So I can't wait mm. to talk about it, but there's been some good ones. You know, Bartoli has <laughs> one, Sibokova came out with one. The, I haven't read the new Billie Jean King one. I need to look at that one, but yeah. um, you know, we'll see. But I think that the, the main difference between all these biographies that, you know, I wrote it myself. And I think it changes a lot of things when you use your own words and you put really your emotion into the book like straight from the from the hand to the book and I, I enjoyed it writing it so much and knowing that the reader will just dive into my life into my heart and oh that was a great exercise I love it well I'm yeah. I'm glad to know where the inspiration came from <laughs> number five speaking of your book you tell some great stories in the book about the difficulties of traveling for a living sometimes. And most recently, you had an experience on a Lufthansa flight to a tournament in Romania, and you were bumped due to overbooking, which I'm sure must have been extremely nerve wracking. So my question, what is one piece of travel advice you have for a young player just starting to play on tour? Oh my God, um, that's a good question. Uh, being patient, that's the first thing. And <laughs> trying to take distance with what is happening because anything can happen with travel. I mean, three times I didn't get my rackets before my match and I had to adapt. Sometimes I didn't get my stuff. I had to borrow some shoes from someone else or sometimes I just couldn't catch my flight. I lost my passport. I mean, anything can happen and you just have to adapt like you do in a match, actually. You know, you always have to adapt. Adaptation is the key word for a tennis player. And you have to do the same as a traveler. You have to adapt and you have to be patient. There's some great stories in the it's book. It's a really, yeah. it's a good school of life, it's a the good, travel. It is. <laughs> yeah, you have a great story <laughs> in the book too. I, well, you know, I, I recommend people to read it. But um, is there anything you have to bring with you when you travel? Is there something special that you've always traveled with? Is there one item that's just like more important than anything? No, as long as I have my rackets. I yeah. mean, that's the main thing. Like they're like my babies. I even, <laughs> like I, I take them with me in the plane. I don't want to leave them and... Sometimes I have to because some company, they just uh, forces you to put the bag in the, the tennis bag in the, in the plane to check it in. No. And this is something I hate. You know, when I, I see my rackets going away, I'm like, I'm always crying. I'm like, no, just don't, yeah. don't go. Don't leave me. Nick and I are not into, we know we play tournaments too and travel. Yeah, We're like, no, one, I'm bringing them. They fit. It's always the, the argument. It's like, I know they'll fit. They're going to fit. Don't worry. I know. I know. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Number six, Nick, this question's for you, actually. As one of Alize's biggest fans, how would you describe her game to someone that's never seen her play? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I would say passionate, will fight for every <laughs> single ball, will run forever, and will give her all when she's on the court. I think that's good. Do you agree, Alize? Yeah. Oh, that's a perfect description. I love it. <laughs> Feisty too. All right, question number seven. You've had some amazing wins in your career. You have 22 wins against top 10 opponents. You've beaten 10 former number ones, which we're going to talk about in a bit when we jump into your career. But I wondered, in your opinion, in what match would you say you played the absolute best match of your career? Was there ever a match where you just did not miss? <sighs> There is, there is some, I played some really good match throughout my career, but I think the one I remember the most is the one I'm talking about in the book. And I think that's the one that everybody remembers against Serena Williams in Wimbledon, because it was, everything was just so special about that match. I know I, I lost the first set. I mean, Serena was just better than me. She was playing like she's always playing in Wimbledon, which means amazing. And, and then I, somehow I just turned around the match and I'm playing some, really amazing shot and just I'm in the zone you know I'm just playing my, my best tennis and I'm 
I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking. I'm just doing and, and I do it perfectly. And I beat her at the end. And everything is so magical about that match. So I, I'll still pick this one. It's just, it's, I'm so glad you picked that one because it's as a, <laughs> as a fan, as a reader, I know Nick can agree too, but um, to know what was going on, I mean, you describe it beautifully in the book and it's just, um, you know. Thank you. It, it's great. I can't wait to get <laughs> into it, you know, because again, there's a lot more going on than just tennis in that match, so. Yes, there is. But people tend to forget that we have a life outside of tennis and sometimes we go on the court and and things happen in our private life, but we we cannot we cannot show it and we cannot take it as an excuse and we just have to go for it all the time. This is not easy because we're alone on the court. So we just, you know, we cannot count on, on someone else. I think maybe that day you weren't alone on the court, but we can talk about that too. So. Yes, I wasn't. Yeah, for sure. Number eight, Alize, you've had some crazy things happen to you on court during your career. <laughs> so I wondered, which do you think was stranger? Losing a point during your Wimbledon 2019 doubles match when Yelena Ostapenko hit you with her serve or the warning you received for changing your shirts at the 2018 US Open. Oh my God. <laughs> or maybe Sarah Irani asking me to say Ali instead of Vamos. That was pretty weird too, right? <laughs> I don't think that was weird, actually. I don't know. I, I oh just, for some reason, that, that fits. I don't know, I guess. <laughs> Uh, you know that we, we are laughing about it now. It, it became like a private joke between us. And it's so good, I think, after all these years to be able to, to laugh about it. So cool. You've talked about it with her. We never talked about it. But, okay. you know, it's like through social media, we kind of broke the ice. And, and now we just sometimes we use it as an hashtag and stuff and we tag each other. No, it's really fun. Yeah. I think every time you see her, you should say hello in a different language just to screw with her. Just, to, just so she knows how much you love languages. It's I can say vamos, I say ale whenever I want. No, but you know, it just shows how freaky you can be on the court. That's all. And that it can happen to anybody. Oh my gosh, uh, but to, to answer your question, I think I would still pick the um, change of shirt at the US Open. I mean, you at least got an apology from the US Open. Yes. I don't think you got an apology from Ostapenko. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't I think you can count on that. <laughs> about Ostapenko. She's not the kind of person that apologizes, I'd say. Okay, well, <laughs> number nine, let's move on. Number nine, Alize, let's talk about your years of representing your country <laughs> of France. You started your 2014 season with a bang when you teamed with Joe Wilfried Songa and won the Hopman Cup title in Perth, Australia. What was your favorite memory from that week? And also, just how crazy was it? to return John Isner's serve. <laughs> and I did. Yeah. And you know what? The story when we play against... So Isner was playing with uh, Sloan, right? Yeah. And he chose to serve first and we broke him. First game at love. <laughs> so it means I returned at least twice in the first game. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, this made my day. And uh, no, it was... Uh, I mean, Upman Cup in 2014 was one of the best memories of my career. Um, this week that I spent with Joe, the double that we played and uh, all the fun we had. Uh, it was such a great experience and winning at the end. Uh, it was it was the best feeling and playing for my country once more. You know how I'm, how attached I am to, you know, to this uh, French supporting. And uh, no, definitely the, 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 the whole thing was uh, was amazing. But yeah, I'm pretty proud of returning Johnny Snowser. Yeah. 
It's a pretty good one. I like it. Let's keep talking about France because question 10 is about Fed Cup. You speak in your book very honestly about your Fed Cup experiences. There's some of the highs in the book where you write about a few of the amazing relationships you've made playing Fed Cup with Pauline Palmentier and Moresmo and Veneto and Fiona Farrow. You also write about the lows you've had over the years too, with different insecurities and a difficult relationship with a former captain. But if you had to pick one Fed Cup moment over the years that you're the most proud of, what would you say? Oh, uh, there were a lot of lows. Lot, yes, yeah. you're right. Yeah, it's it's not easy to play for the country, but at the end, it's all worth it. It's so worth it. It's just, um, but if I would have to pick one, it's not easy. Of course, I'm thinking about like the match point when we are actually win the Fed Cup on the other side of the world in Australia, beating world yeah. number one. I mean, everything was just crazy. And this feeling that, you know, you, you've been till the end of a dream and you actually realize it and, and, and you're with your friends and you all live the same emotion. That's unbeatable. I think I had a lot of amazing memories, but this one will, yeah, will stand very high in my, in my mind. I know it seems so long ago, but you're still the defending Fed Cup champions too. We, we are. I mean yeah, I know we're always we're always joking about it. Like for two years we've been defending champions, but now we really have to defend it in one month. So you do. Let's talk about it for a second. They announced the schedule this uh, this past week for the Billie Jean King Cup. It's going to be in Prague, yeah. November first through the sixth. France drew Russia and mm -hmm. Canada. Mm -hmm. Not an easy draw. Oh, Not an easy no, draw at all. <laughs> especially after Fernandez run in, uh, in US Open and maybe Bianca is going to play. I don't know if she plays. It might be very complicated. We'll see. We'll see. Are you planning to be in Prague then? Of course, I wouldn't oh, miss right. it for the world. Yeah, even though, you know, I'm not a big fan of this new format. I was going to ask, you say in the book too, what do you yeah. think is not as, is it maybe from the fan side, it seems great because everyone's together and it seems like a very mm. fast pace. But in the book, you talk about the camaraderie and getting to spend mm. time together. And I think that's really why a lot of players like to play because it's lonely on mm. tour and you come together and you have these great moments together. So. Yeah, we'll have this great moment, but I think what I will miss the more is the home and away ties, you know, that made the competition so special to play in front of your crowd or, or against the, the other crowd. And the, the atmosphere in Fed Cup was always crazy. And now I fear that it will be a little bit more neutral and less exciting, but mm -hmm. it will be different. And as I said earlier, adaptation is the key. <laughs> it's our theme today. We're adapting. We're going to adapt to uh, question number 11. <laughs> Elise, you get one loss, singles or doubles from your career to turn into a win instead. Oh Which do God. you pick? I know. I know. <laughs> Actually, it's not even a win. It's a point. It's just a oh, point. Tell me. I, um, when I was 19, I had match points against uh, Dinara Safina to qualify for the quarterfinal in Australian Open. And I was 5-2 up in the third set and I lost the match where having too much points. And this one hurt. This one hurt a lot. Uh, it still does. And uh, I think it was, it influenced a lot the rest of my career somehow. I don't know how to explain, but mm. yeah, I would, I would pick this one. I would pick many, but I think this one is on top of the list. Yeah. It's uh, honestly, you're the second best match you've played in a Grand Slam too. It was phenomenal. I went back and watched mm -hmm. it again this week. We had Denara on the show. She talked about that match. I too, know. About, yes, about I saw you got, had her. She got yeah. confidence, you know. She, you know, playing someone as tough as you and and surviving match points, which you've survived many match points in your career too. Sometimes mm -hmm. what that does to you mentally. She made the finals that year, so I mean that was a I big know. deal. So. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> Don't tell me about it. <laughs> We're gonna get more opportunity. We'll get more opportunities. We'll talk about it. 
I was thinking it was Safina or Bouchard, and you know, yeah. Safina it is. Eh, there's a, there's a match. <laughs> uh, yeah. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number twelve. Can we talk about your doubles career for a moment? You have three career WTA titles. You're a great doubles player. We had a question from one of your fans in Prague, uh, Matej Wolf, and he asks, "Would you consider playing more doubles next season? And if so, who is someone on tour that you haven't played doubles with yet, but would like to?" Oh, what a good question. Well, first of all, my doubles career is not that amazing because it never has been my my priority. I consider myself more like a single player. Um, I enjoy it more, and I put much less pressure on myself in singles than doubles because when I miss a ball in doubles, I just want to cry for my partner. So it's not easy to live, you know, through a match like this when you put so much pressure on yourself and you're so perfectionist. So I, I didn't play as much double as I could have, let's say. Um, and to answer the question, I'm not sure I will play more doubles because, you know, my body's aging. And when you have to play singles and double and, and you want to be ambitious for your single career, it's really not easy to play both. And I, I have a huge admiration for the players that, that do that because it's uh, it's really hard. Even mentally, it takes a lot of energy to do both. Um, and if I would pick a player, oof, that's a good question. First of all, I have a rule. Uh, <laughs> when I play doubles, I need to play with, with a player that I like. This is my, my number one rule. I, I want to have a good time on the court because this is not really my job, let's say. I'm more like single player and... Uh, so if I would pick someone I like that plays good and I never played with, oh, oof. <laughs> the Rolodex is going right now, everyone. You can't see it, but she's thinking. She's like, <laughs> um, oh yes, oh. But I asked her. I asked her actually uh, recently. I would love to play with Leila Fernandez. She's a good friend, and um, and she's like such a fighter too, you know. And she's so committed and so sweet in the same time. And I really like her. And we we were almost playing together for the U.S. Open, but finally it didn't work out. But yeah, that's one of the players I would love to share the court with. Fernandez Cornet, yeah. let's do this. Yeah, that's, that's fun. <laughs> and I was going to ask anyone retired, but we already know the answer. It's Pioline. So why would I even ask this? I mean, let's let's <laughs> no. bring him up again. No, that would be <laughs> that would be anti-erotic. Oh my god, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Of course. Uh, oh man. All right. All right. Yeah. Much better. Let's go. I mean, Pioline, fantastic, fantastic. But yes, let's let's take the Andy Roddick serve for sure. All right. Number thirteen, Alize. You've had so many amazing rivalries and almost five hundred career match wins throughout your career. A fan in Lyon, France, Genevieve Lebeau, asks, "Which players from your career would you say?" have been the hardest matchups for you game style wise mm. and do you feel like you've had a rival on tour well all the players are, are my rivals i mean now the rivalry in yeah. women tennis is is great it's so exciting to watch because anyone can lose against anyone the level is so high you know and it's uh, that's yeah. what makes it so exciting to watch first of all i would love to get to the 500 wins oh that would be so cool like, I would love to end my career and, and have this 500. So I, I will fight for it, guys. You're very close. I'm not sure to, to make it. Yeah, I will see. I try not to count, but... Um, but yeah, there's definitely one or two players that I... Or even maybe like three that I hated to play against. One of them back then was Francesca Schiavone. Oh my God, I hated her. Like, I mean, I loved her. She was such a great person and such a positive personality but when I was playing against her she was just using the perfect tactic to beat me and and she was so intense and 
No, I just I think I beat her only once or twice in my career, over a lot of uh, of matches we we played. Then I never beat Azarenka, uh, and this is painful because I had two or three match points the last time we played uh, on grass, and I was so close to win. I deserved this win so bad, and I I lost at the end. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'll never beat her. I just have to you know do my grief, and uh, and maybe one of the player I, I don't like to play to is Alison Riske. Somehow I oh. her game doesn't suit mine. It's it's. No, I can't. I don't know. <laughs> Something. It's so interesting. I love the matchups. You know, it's just like, especially that is exactly what I would love to. You know, it's this Cornet risk matchup where it's just like, yeah, it's it just doesn't match. You know, sometimes no, it's it doesn't cool. match. I mean, it, it it matches for her, but not for me. <laughs> and yeah, maybe her flat game and uh, yeah, just the way she played. I don't know. I think a lot of players listening to amateur players are going back and thinking, okay, yeah, I mean, this happens to me too. There's all these players in my league that I can't beat. And it's like, exactly. interesting. Uh, tennis is weird, right? It's so weird. Oh yeah. Don't tell me. I know. We're <laughs> tennis addicts. So, uh, all right. Number 14, we're almost finished with this round. I know it's a bit early yet, but looking forward to the rest of the season and into next year, what would you say is a major goal that you still have for your tennis? I, I'm still willing to make a quarterfinal in, in, a, in a Grand Slam. I mean, that's something I've been looking for for the past 15 years. And I've been very close, maybe two times, three times. Uh, it's it's a frustration I'm, I'm carrying uh, within myself, but it's okay. I won't make myself sick if I, if I cannot reach this goal, but I'm really working hard for it. And uh, the only goal that I'm setting for myself is really, I mean, it's all simple, but it's, to keep having fun, you know, to keep keep enjoying being on the court, being competitive, um, having this fire inside of me that is not burning all the time. Uh, so you you know you have to keep it up. And uh, no, if I if I keep playing with this fire and, and enjoy myself, that'll be the best end of my career. You're having some great wins this year. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Uh, all right, last question in this round. Once you retire in nine or ten years or so. Right? <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Another couple Olympics, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll negotiate, you know, we're going to negotiate your retirement. You know, fans have a say in this. What do you want to be remembered for, Alize? Everything. You know what? I Even, I mean, my, my fighting spirit, my bad temper, um, my intensity, um, my love and my smile, because I, I mean, I have a bad temper, but I, I'm also very joyful. And I would like that my my fellow tennis player would remember me as someone that is, you know, just nice and easygoing and talking. And that's what I do in the locker room. The, the more I, the more I grow old and the more I do it, because now, you know, when you grow old, you just take distance and you just want to have a good time. And I just hope that, yeah, my fellow tennis player will, uh, will miss me a little bit. <laughs> like we miss some players that are, um, that are retiring. We miss them more than some others. And I just hope to be this kind of player that the players will be like, hey, you know, that was cool when she was around. Well, it's not happening yet. Well done. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's coming soon. I mean, the, 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 the biggest part of my career is behind me. Let's not let's not lie. <laughs> we never know what's going to happen. It, sometimes it takes one big result and you're just like, let's, you know, let's ride the wave. Here we go. So, you're right. Well done. You know. That's like tennis therapy, that game. I always like that game. So that was good. <laughs> Oh man, Nick, are we having fun? This is pretty cool, right? This is fun. This is great today. I asked you earlier about Alize's game style. What is it about her game that really resonated with you over the years? Why are you such a big Alize Cornet fan? 
You know, I, I like players who are number one, not afraid to be expressive on the court, not afraid to show their emotions. Sometimes it may not be the most helpful thing in the world, but just to be true to themselves and to be willing to fight regardless of the circumstance. I agree. I mean, right? That's what we want as fans. Yeah, I like the kind. I like this kind of players too. Yeah, I think we all do. I mean, okay, let's be realistic. Some people don't like the emotional players, but a lot of people love to support, you know, the Knicks of the world and the Serenas of the world, and that's just kind of what we love. So yeah, it's entertaining, and you can always identify to them because you feel this emotion too as a person. So. Nick said the word passion to Alize mm. and I, you know, there's so much passion in your book and we're about to talk about it in a second. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you were so vulnerable too, especially when talking about your encore persona, like you said, and how meditation has helped you in recent years. That's why fans love you. You're very honest. You're very sincere. And I want to get into all that. So let's jump into our game today. I'm going to break up this fan duo because it's time to play a game called I 40 Love You. It'll be Nick versus Alize in a fan versus favorite tennis match trivia showdown all about Alize's career and life. Nick, I'm going to ask you two questions about Alize's career. And then Alize, I'm going to ask you two questions that test how incroyable your memory is about your own career. Did I mangle that? That was pretty bad. Right? Uh, that, that, that just, that, that, that's good. You're not asking me some question about Nick's career because I don't no. know. I don't no, know we'll shit. skip Nick. <laughs> <laughs> if we end up in a 2-2 tie, I'm going to give Nick the opportunity right now to be today's champion, but only if he can survive this first question. Uh, Nick, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Ale. You know how competitive I am. Huh? Now I'm in the game. <laughs> I love this already. Vamos, vamos, Ale. Oh man, oh, this first game is called True or False. Nick, you call yourself a huge Alize Cornet fan, so let's see if you can back this up right here. Good luck to you. I'm gonna read you a statement about Alize. If the statement is true, you just say true. If the statement is not correct, please firmly say fault in your best French Open lines person's voice. We'll say French Open today. Actually, pretty soon it's gonna be computers, right? Because, yeah. you know, they're not gonna have lines people anymore. Yeah. It's pretty sad, it makes me sad. All right, guys, let's get into it. Nick, here's your question. Hey, fantastic fans. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. I'm guessing you've already browsed goldenageoftennis.com while you've been listening. But if not, guys, I know you don't want to hear this, but the holidays are right around the corner. I know I'm just the messenger, but it's okay. If you want a really cool gift for the tennis fan in your life or really just for you, <laughs> then this is the only place you're going to find updated retro fashion like Bjornborg's classic Fila polo and matching headband, or what I literally just bought this morning, the coolest black and white LS vintage track jacket and shorts that Guillermo Vilas and Boris Becker used to wear. Visit goldenageoftennis.com today and get same-day worldwide shipping wherever you are, plus 10% off with the code FANTASTIC. And speaking of fantastic, let's get back to the show and see how this game turns out. My money's on the fan this week. After the success of Alizé's autobiography, Sans Compromis, in France, she is now... I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing. This is really uh, cute. This is really laughing. cute. You, you laughed. You laughed at my French. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, she's now released the English version, which I can say a lot better. And it's entitled Transcendence, Diary of a Tennis Addict. But Nick... That was not the original title. The original French title was Vamos, Allez, Alize. Is that true or false? Um, 
I would have to go fault. You don't think that would make a great title of the book? It would be a great title, but no. <laughs> Is that true or fault, Alize? No. I, uh, no, it's fault. No, I couldn't, I could, I couldn't go, you know. The, and I don't even talk about these stories in the, in, in the book, no. actually. It's like I skipped it. I don't know why. I, it, maybe unconsciously I didn't want to go through it again. Just so you know, because I can be very specific with you now, because you have two people that have followed your career for a long time. That is one of the most famous lines behind your back in a very in, in the tennis world. We say that all the time on court. You know, I just it's funny. You know, it's just funny. I don't know. Nick, can you attest, right? Yes, absolutely. As somebody who yells Ale um, constantly in tournaments, like... Yes, I yeah. feel that. Why you say Ale? You're from America. Say, let's go. Exactly. I hear that all the time. No way. Oh, that's so funny. I mean. <laughs> legend. Oh, that's so funny, guys. I mean, Sarah made the legend. She's so good. Yeah. Uh, well, congrats on the book, Alize. I mean, it's so exciting. Have you been happy with the reaction from fans and the readers? Yes, very happy. I couldn't imagine that they would be such amazing uh, reaction and feedbacks from the readers. It was, uh, they, I think they really appreciated the, the, the honesty and the fact that I'm just not trying to hide myself uh, behind, you know, some excuses or anything. I'm just being true. I'm just being honest. And, uh, and that's what I wanted. That was my, really my goal while I was writing this book. It, it was to be sincere and uh, not hiding anything. I wanted to give my, my, my side of the story, but without making it beautiful, just by making it true, yeah. you know? I'm sure it was great therapy for you too, while you're writing on the road. I'm sure that's great to be able to journal your yeah. thoughts. So, I mean, it, it's like therapy. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's amazing. It is, yeah. It's hard to think about your life in general and you have to, I mean, was the concept just thinking of all your life events and just writing them down and saying, okay, this, this is going to make my life story. Is that how you kind of decided to put the book together or just, you just kind of kept going free flow? And no, no, I just, uh, I just felt the moment coming, you know, like one day I just woke up and in Wimbledon and I was like, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm going to write it. You know, there was a, a titled dream to, to write a book one day. I didn't know about what actually, but it, this actually, I, this book came to me, you know, it was like inspiration from all these years on tour. And also the discovery of the meditation definitely helped me to put my thoughts together and to dig deep and, um, and remember all these stories throughout my career. And I just felt it was the moment to share it. And I didn't want to end the end of my career because I wanted to, I don't know, to leave it in the present moment and to to make it special for the reader because they would read it and then they would see me on court and then they would just put put it together as a puzzle, you know, and that was exciting for me to do that. That's what this is too. We're getting to know you more. I mean, it, I think it connects mm. you with fans when they get to hear the inside story. So again, this is great. Yeah. You talk a lot about how meditation has helped you on and off court as well. I want to say, I hope it's helped you block out a lot of the negative people in the universe <laughs> because you know, as most of us know in the tennis world, a lot of the hate that players get these days is from the online gambling community. It's it's so terrible. And we've seen, it's really harassment straight up. I mean, it's really horrible. Yeah. There's some crazy things we've seen from Sloane Stevens and Sasha Vickery have posted on social media. Do you feel like social media is getting more negative or do you feel like you're starting to see maybe some behavioral improvements in, in this? 
I don't know. Yeah. Actually, I cannot answer this question. It's uh, it's very tricky. Um, I think I, I've had really insults my whole career, and I always had some negativity around uh, with the media, with the social media. And in in France also, the, the media are not very gentle with the athletes. They're like judging and pretty tough on us. And uh, it's not easy. But this, yeah, this hatred that we can read on the internet, it's really... Now I can, yeah, I can definitely laugh about it now. Maybe not 10 years ago, but right now, I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling sorry for them. You know, when you have nothing in your life that you just go yeah. like behind your computer to write so many, like so much bullshit and, and, and hate, this is really sad for them. So I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm feeling sorry for them. But definitely we should try to educate people more and spread more love. And uh, I mean, this is maybe easy to say, but we're definitely lacking. We have a lack of, of love and, and, um, and, and, oh, in French, I have the word, but not in English. It's bienveillance. It means, you know, when you just have good feelings about someone, good emotion, and you just wish, wish him or her the best. And this is really lacking yeah. in, the, in the, the sport world. We're spreading love today. This is what's important. So. Yeah, I know. I know. I feel it. Yeah. If um, if you win the French Open next year, will you write another book then, or can we? Can you get a promise now that we'll just kind of add an addendum to it? Yeah, we'll we'll think about it. <laughs> I, I, I can think. I mean, if I if I have some more adventure to talk about, I would definitely do it. I mean, people seems to love to read my stories and the way I write too, so I I would think about it. But you know, I have a little secret to tell you. Actually, is that. I'm going to publish another book next year, but it's not going to be about tennis. I'm going to be, um, I don't know how to say it in English. I'm writing like a real book, you know, not, not, not a tennis book, not a biography, uh, a story. I don't know how you... Fiction. Fiction. Thank you. Amazing. Oh my God. Thank you. Yes. So, yes, I wrote a fiction last year. And I just send it like really randomly to the biggest edition house of France. And they decided to sign me. And I'm going to publish my first fiction next year in April. Wow. This is crazy. This is amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, it's crazy. Now I, yeah, I, I swear it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Do we have a genre of what it's about? Can we give a little tiny, a tiny? Yeah, it's mainly about like the childhood of my mom. Mostly like, uh, like her life when she was a child and the life of my grandmother because they had such a difficult life. And I felt like taking taking it as, a, as an inspiration for this fiction so the, the the action is happening in the 50s and the 60s uh, so I had to do a lot of researches and you know I mean this was a great experience it took me 13 months to write it but I'm, I'm so happy that I'm going to be published I mean it's a dream come true it's so cool this is amazing congratulations Charlie. this is really cool <laughs> thank you I still can't believe it but you will not be able to read it in English I mean Except if it becomes a movie one day, I don't know, and then and, and, and the right. And then you star in it because you're a famous actress in France, so you have the resume. <laughs> I mean, come on, this is. I think now, Nick, do you think she wrote this to make it a movie? This is like how she's going to be an actress again, right? This is this. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Playing my my own my own role. I mean, in my the the role of my book. Yeah, oh man, great. this is great. All right, well, let's go on to question one. We have four questions to go before we wrap up today. Let's get into your career. It's uh, question one for you, Alize. This is your first question. You ready? Let's do this. How's your memory? Mm, uh, good, I think. Let's see. As a fourteen-year-old amateur, you would play in your very first pro-level ITF event in Amiens, France. You would win your very first match in qualifying 
against a player you would later play in 2012 in the first round of a WTA event. What was the name of the very first player you ever beat on the senior level in the first round of qualifying in Amiens, France? No way. Oh my God. I played her in 2012 then. Mm-hmm. <gasps> I remember who I beat in the in the main draw and I remember against who I lost, but this first round of qualities. <gasps> oh no, Nick is going to have a point ahead of me. But come on, the question is so much tougher for me. It's your life. It's not a question that's you played it's, her. It's, you know her. It's unfair. But I was 14. Man, it was like 16 years ago. <laughs> played her a lot later too. You played her as an adult. So, and... Oh. Okay, maybe. Okay, maybe. Should I give her a hint? Is she French? She was not French, right? She's French. Oh my God! Yeah, I have like some, you know, like memories, like but that no, no, no. Okay. Oh, but now I'm very curious. Just, just tell me. She got to 110 in the world. So good for her. That's pretty good. That's pretty hot. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Her name was Claire. Oh, Verstein, Verstein. Verstein. Oh, yes, of course. I was clear. I beat Claire in the first one. Well, that was not an easy draw because she was playing no. good. I love it. Oh, that's so go. funny. Thank We're you. We're back in a time machine. It's good. I'm glad I got to help. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's stay as a kid because, you know, this first question is, is amazing. I want to know, we talk about it in the book too. And you've been playing such amazing tennis your whole life. You mentioned in the book how you got your start playing tennis. Where did you first fall in love with the sport? Oh, it was in my in my first tennis club. Uh, I was going there with my my brother. I have an older brother. He's like 13 years older than me. So he was playing in this tennis club. It was a really tiny, small, tiny tennis club with four courts, four clay courts. And yeah, I was just watching him play. And I was like, I want to do the same. I want to do the same. And then when I took a racket for the first time, it was just love, love at the first sight. I can explain. Yeah, it's just natural. it was just natural and. I started to play and to, I mean, to bring back the balls very, very young. I mean, I think at four or five, I was already like, I mean, hitting the ball with like the softball, but still I was very coordinated and very passionate already about the game. And still, I I, I still am. <laughs> uh, we, we spoke earlier about uh, the movie you did at 11 years old. Stefan told me that your parents, again, were the opposite of the parents yeah. in the movie. He described them to be very supportive, which is a rarity in tennis sometimes. One of my favorite parts of your book is when you're in the car with your mother and you tell her on the ride home after a tournament that you have what it takes to be a pro player and you want to turn pro. And I love this idea of mm-hmm. unconditional mm-hmm. support with your mother. And it's such a nice touching moment in the book. What was a young Alize Cornet's personality like? well the same than today but much worse (laughs) much much more intense and and I hated to lose I hated to lose oh my god it was so painful it's still very painful and I'm still crying sometimes after my loss but there it was like every loss was the end of the world and I was so perfectionist and I wanted to be the best all the time and it was eating me up really like I it, it was the disease of my life, being the best, being the best all the time. And uh, it's not possible to be the best no. all the time. But I was so damn lucky to have my parents and my brother beside me. I mean, they were so, so loving, so caring, supportive, uh, but not pressurizing in the same time. I mean, I had the best parent. I think definitely my mom, she should give lesson about how to behave as a parent on the tour, you know, how to be a normal parent for, for their kids. She, she was so great to me. She was coming on tournament with me, but always making me feel like I was normal and I was still her daughter. 
uh, instead of being a tennis player. And I'm very grateful for that. Very grateful. I love hearing that story. That's so great. You moved to Paris <laughs> when you were young. You had such a great junior career as well. And at 15, you're given the wild card to play in the 2005 French Open. You'd already played maybe seven or eight ITF events at this point, And the Federation took notice. And in your debut, you beat Alina Jidkova of Russia, who was ranked around 70 in the world, almost 600 spots ahead of you at the time. And it caused quite a stir, especially in France, because then you'd play the legend, Amelie Moresmo, in the second round. It was quite the yeah. debut. If I had told 15-year-old Alizé that she would play in 17 straight French Opens, do you think she would have believed me? I don't know. Probably not, because... Yeah. Yeah, probably not. But in the same time, I, I, I think I was, I was believing very hard in myself at that time. I was really working for it and believing in myself. And I had such a long-term vision, you know, but definitely, I mean, I would have signed right away. I would have signed for this um, 59 consecutive Grand Slam that I'm having right now and all these emotions. And I would have signed for the, for the up and downs, even for the lows, even for the bad moments. They, they just built what I am today. You know, they built my character and I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, Nick, right? We feel the passion when Alize is talking about tennis. I just love it today. I hope you're all hearing the same in, in her voice. <laughs> there was new attention after that French Open, Alize, but the real attention started coming a couple years later in 2007. There's another fun story you tell in the book. You're 17 years old. You play Venus Williams in the first round of the French Open, but then you tell the media that you're going to play in your final junior event and you guarantee that you're going to win the title and it worked you win the 2007 french open junior title what changed for you after winning that title in your career what was the biggest change not much i think i was just very proud uh, very proud to make it in my in my country in front of my my family my crowd it was a, a big pride to win this uh, this junior grand slam at home but at the end, you know, um, I never played uh, the juniors completely. I was not fully committed to the juniors. I was playing here and there, mainly the Grand Slam, entering the, the Grand Slam because of my, my WT ranking, because I was already like 300 or something. So I liked the juniors, but I, I couldn't wait to be on the real tour, you know, playing the real deal. And that was what was really um, exciting me at that time. So when when I was done with, the, with Roland Garros Junior, I just... I was like, it's like the final exam. I was like, okay, now I'm done. I can go fully to the to the grown-up tour and uh, and I will make my mark. And that's what I tried to do. And in the same year, I played so well at the US Open. That US Open was huge. You made the yeah. third round. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, you have Sam Stoser and Caroline Wozniacki. Were you surprised that you were beating players right away? I don't know. I remember I qualified and then I was beating such good players and, and I almost beat Jankovic and she was like three or four in the world at the time. And I was just on the wave, you know, I was just feeling it. I was playing like I didn't think I was just uh, going for it all the time. And uh, I had this kind of this, um, you know, the fire that you have when you're uh, when you're a young player and nobody is expecting you and you just come and boom. And this is the best feeling, you know, because then you have expectation and it gets a little tougher. But in the beginning, it's, it's such a bonus, you know. Elise, 2007 was such a great year, but 2008 would prove to be an even bigger year for you. So let's go to question two. This is going to be Nick's first question. Nick, you ready? Yes. Do this. All right. Alize would have an amazing 2008 season and would advance to the finals of the Italian Open that same year. En route to that final, she would get the first top five victory of her career against a player that had already won a U.S. Open title. 
and would win her second Grand Slam at the French Open the following year. Which player did Alizé get her first top five win against? Hmm. Oh, Nick, where are you, Nick? I... <laughs> no, no, the, um, Sveta. Oh. Yes! Oh, look, he tricked you with not knowing, but he got it at the end. <laughs> the Wikipedia right next to him, come on. <laughs> oh, no, 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 jamais, jamais. Just say, just say, I'm kidding. I know you're a fair player. Okay, good job, that's it. It was Kuznetsova. It was Kuznetsova. Yeah. Can we talk about 2008 for a moment? It was such a brilliant year for you. Uh, yeah. So amazing. Yeah. You're the new kid on tour. This is where you start putting together the game that everyone knows very well today. You'd make your first WTA final at the start of 2008 in Acapulco, losing a tough match to Flavia Panetta in three sets. Mm -hmm. Love Flavia. But then you'd go on a clay court tear, making back-to-back -back semifinals in Amelia Island and Charleston, beating some great players. Mm -hmm. But then you get to Rome yeah. and you'd play even better tennis beating Schiavone, your, your rival. You beat her in Italy. If you're going to pick a place yeah. to beat her, that's where you want to do it. Chakvatatse, and we just mentioned Kuznetsova as well. Amazing runs. What was it about your game that was really coming together? Was there something specific that you felt you had really improved at this point? Or like you said, was this just playing freely as a young kid, just swinging for the fence? Yeah, I think it's mostly uh, about playing freely and just... Um... I was working so hard and um, I think the, just the work was paying off, you know, I, I because I was in Rome, I was a qualifier. So I had also more matches than the others, but this gave me confidence. You know, it was like my my game was more and more structured. It was like I knew exactly what I had to do on the court, especially on clay. I had more time. So, you know, I could just um, play with my my big top spin forehand and, and my flat backhand and this change of rhythm, I think. I was the new kid on tour, as you said, and nobody really knew me. Nobody really knew how I was playing and what they should do against me. And I just surfed on this wave and I was just playing with all my heart and, and freely. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Everything was coming into places. And sometimes you don't really know why, you know, you just have to, to take it when it's there. And that's what I did. And um, you ride the Alize, right? Is it oh the wind? You ride the Alize. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and this year, everything was coming into places. And I, I broke into the top 20, I think, after Rome, qualifying for my first Olympic Games. And then, oh, that was that was such a rich year. Yeah, later that summer, you'd win your first WTA title in Budapest as well. Yeah. What a great yeah. city to win your first title. And what do you remember about winning that event and winning your first WTA title? Well, I have a good story about it is that the night before the final, I got sick. I got a food poisoning. So I was throwing up all night. I didn't sleep. Uh, the morning of my match, I, my belly was like a stone. It was so hard. I was feeling so bad. So I told my mom, I, I cannot go on the court. I, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to faint. Probably I will ne never be able to play. And she told me, you know, just just try because you're going to regret it. So just try. And if, if you don't feel good, just just stop. And I felt horrible during the whole match. But the match was so tight. And finally, I win the first set, 7-6. And I'm like, OK, you're just one set away. And I was crawling on the court. I had belly ache like crazy. And I won this one. And it tasted so good because I went over the limits. Like I did a lot of time in my career. But this time to get my first title... It was it was a, a rough one. And one hour later, I was on the court again for the doubles, <laughs> doubles final that I won it again. That I won also. 
um, feeling sick like never. And uh, no, but this is this is great. Yeah, when I think about it, it's it's true. I never tell that story, but it's a good story. It's a great story. That's great. It yeah. shows your personality again. I love it. <laughs> you turned pro in 2006, and already within two years, you'd finish your 2008 season ranked 16 in the world. And a few months later, in 2009, you climbed to 11 in the world. That type of rapid success doesn't happen for most players. Mm. What was the pressure like at this point in your career? I wondered, you're now a young a young person still. You know, you're still a teenager and now you've become the favorite in all these matches. How did you deal with that pressure in 2009? Not great, I think. I think I was not I was not well prepared for that. It went so fast that my 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 status just changed in in less than a year. I was outside of the top 50. I was just a teenager playing good tennis and and suddenly I was almost top 10. I was seated in the slam. I was favorite against players that were like 10 years older than me and much more experienced than me. And it's funny because I think my tennis was ready for that, but my mind was not. And definitely after this uh, fourth round at the Australian Open, I I had a big drop. I had a big drop mentally. Um, it was like I felt like I had to digest everything, and it, it took a little while to digest this 2008 season and and this new statues. And uh, if I could go back in, in time, um, I, w- I would get back to that time and 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 make different choices. And then I don't know. I, I would I would do things differently because I think I, I kind of lost the momentum. You know, at that at that moment, I was really. Mm-hmm playing my best tennis I was feeling it and 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 I lost it and then I got injured and it was a vicious circle I lost confidence and a year later I was I don't know I was out of the top 50 and I and the momentum was gone and it was uh it was painful interesting yeah no yeah. I I think the trajectory at this point we just mentioned great 2008 what a beautiful Australian Open you have too you know I think we focus a lot on the positives on this show and I think that's what's important as well and mm-hmm. In every amazing tennis career, there has to be a few downs to have ups as well. Every amazing legend in our sport loses matches. You mentioned earlier, before we move on to better times, how do you deal with losses typically? You say sometimes you cry. Can I talk to you after matches? Can your partner talk to you? Do you need a moment? Do you need like a day? Do you need, you know, what do you need after losses? Well, it depends. I think all the players will say the same. I mean, no, I think everybody deals with the loss a different way, but for me, it really depends. It depends how I played. It depends who I played. It depends my attitude on the court, um, a lot of things. But most of the time, you cannot really talk to me right after the match. I'm, I'm more like, you know, taking a moment, shower, and, okay. you know, at least have half an hour, one hour by myself. But for some loss, yeah, it, it can take a day. In that time, though, do you like to analyze your losses? Are you thinking? Are you just kind of, you just calming down? Are you trying to meditate? Or are you just, are you uh, ruminating? Yeah, I'm, I'm killing myself. I'm killing myself in my brain. I'm like, I'm redoing the match and I'm, I I think about everything that I've done wrong and then all the occasions that I missed and oh this is so painful I hate this moment like the, the, the next one hour after loss it's like really if I could skip this one this hour you know and be like okay yeah, we're after uh, but then for some loss it can take up to a day yeah sometimes it's uh it, it, it stays you know it's like yeah I don't know how to explain it still. I think everyone listening knows exactly what yeah, you're talking about so. everyone's like oh I'm just like Alize Cornet <laughs> We're all the same. That's the beautiful thing about tennis. It's like pro or amateurs. We all feel the same. Well, the next few years on tour would be rebuilding and you deal with a lot and a bit of injury and adjustments. But in 2012, you'd start playing some exciting tennis again mm. to win your second WTA title in Badgestein on clay. And in 2013, you'd win your third title in Strasbourg. 
and you'd re-enter the top 30 in the world. But it would be 2014, where you would play some of the best tennis of your career, and the first player in seven years that could solve the long-time riddle of beating Serena Williams in back-to-back -back matches. So Alize, this is your last question. Alize, you would be the last person for over a year to defeat Serena at a Grand Slam, as she'd win 33 straight Grand Slam matches before losing to this person in the 2015 US Open semifinals. Can you name that person? It's a little WT is it, trivia. Is it Roberta Vinci? It is Roberta Vinci. Ah, thanks. <laughs> Good job. You're on the board. You're on the board. Oh my God. She won, she won 33 matches yeah. after me in a slam. I didn't know that. You were the last person to beat her at the Wimbledon. Crazy. So, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. What a tough match for Serena Williams fans to swallow too. I mean, it's just like Djokovic fans at the US Open yeah. this year. I mean, that was a lot. Yeah. You know, that's tough. That was not a fun one. Are there any current ATP players you like watching, by the way? Yeah, oh, there is a lot of I love I love women's and men's tennis like the same, but uh, for the men's I I get really excited by the the new generation. I'm a big fan of uh, Stefanos, uh, Medvedev, Sinner. I love Sinner. I mean, I love his calm and uh, his uh, his tennis. And uh, yeah, Rublev is not that bad to watch either. <laughs> very powerful player, very intense. Lots of good ones, right? No, I think that no. The oh, and Musetti is so beautiful to watch, and he's he's pretty handsome. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, I mean, no, there's like the new generation for guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it very closely, and I think tennis is is really in good hand on women and men's side. I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We spoke about the start of 2014 winning the Hotman Cup, but it was the first major result in February that really made the tennis world start noticing again. Mm -hmm. It was the premier event in Dubai. I want to read this statistic to you, Alize, and maybe get your take. You turned pro in 2006. And from 2006 to 2013, you'd get two top 10 wins. But then bam, 2014, until today, you've had 20 top 10 wins. It's amazing. It's, I mean, that just means you're getting better with age. That's crazy. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe I put, I, I put less limit maybe to myself. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was too respectful in the beginning when I was young. I was like, oh, that's a top 10. You know, I will never win. And, and after that, maybe when I beat Serena, definitely something clicked in my mind. I was like, okay, if I can beat Serena, I mean, I can beat anyone. So you beat Serena in the semifinals of Dubai that year, 6 4, 6 yeah. 4. I'm sure you're asked this many times. What is it about your game? that troubles Serena so much? I don't know, but this match in Dubai was also one of the best match I ever played in my career. So maybe I like to play against her, you know? Maybe my best tennis is coming up against her. I don't know, but probably what she doesn't like is that, you know, I'm I'm really trying to think on the court. I'm trying to play the right shot at the right moment, trying to be smart because... Let's be honest, I'm not going to overpower Serena. I have no chance, neither with my serve nor my 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 ground strokes. It's impossible. So I'm just trying to be smart. So I play a lot of drop shots. I play a lot in the middle. Uh, I make her move when I have to, but on the right one. No, it's a lot of thinking. When you want to beat Serena, yeah, you cannot play like randomly. Impossible. You are Serena's Alison Risk. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to say that, but, you know, she beat me after that. Huh? She beat me like a couple of times. So I didn't find like the, the key on all matches, but I'm pretty proud of, yeah, the way I played against her on this, on these two wins.
You'd follow Dubai up a few weeks later with your fourth title in Katowice, beating Radwanska, who was three in the world yeah. at the time, for your first hardcore title. So that must have felt good. Yeah. Later that summer at Wimbledon in 2014, there would be a lot going on personally for you as well, which we talked about. In one of my favorite stories from your book, you write beautifully about your relationship with your grandmother. She passed away during Wimbledon that year, and you shared that you actually left Wimbledon before your third round match with Serena to attend her funeral in France. Yeah. It had to have been so surreal for you those, those couple of weeks. The fact that you came back the next day from France to beat the best female player of all time is such a poignant moment, I'm sure, of your career. I know your grandmother was proud of you too. Where does that moment rank for you in your tennis career? I think I know. Yeah, number one, of course. <laughs> I'm number one, and it was a little bit unreal. You know, everything, like these two weeks, everything that happened, it was such a, a, an emotional roller coaster, like I, I, I've never lived before or after that. Um, something was just unreal about these two weeks. And uh, I, it really need, needed a big chapter in the, in the book because, I mean, this, this is the kind of story that we want to hear when, you know, you lose something and then you win something else and then you go through all the emotion in the same time, on the same day sometimes. And it's... Uh, it was crazy. It was crazy. Now, definitely, it's one of the most uh, special moments of, of, of my of my life, of my life, not, not only of my career. Uh, I mean, it was amazing. So congratulations to you. That Wimbledon for sure was a roller coaster of emotion. <laughs> you played Bouchard in the fourth round. Yeah. You wouldn't win that match. It was a very tough six and five match. But yeah. um, you got some revenge to her, beating her in Hobart to start 2016 to win your fifth title as well. So yeah. let's move on to our last question. Nick, this is for you. Mm -hmm. If you get this right, you win today. So well done. Let's do this. You have the tie break. Let's do it. Alize's win at the 2018 Swiss Open was an important mental triumph for her. As she writes in her book, she was dealing with a lot of off-court drama at the time. She would win her sixth WTA title by defeating this player that recently retired from professional tennis after losing to none other than Alize in the second round of Luxembourg. Come on, you don't want to give him more clues than that? <laughs> give him the answer. <laughs> Which player did Alize defeat to win her sixth WTA title? I love how competitive she is. I'm such a bad loser. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I feel guilty now yeah. beating Alize. Like, I mean, this is someone who on the court, like we would probably be fighting for hours. So <laughs> She blew it with Claire Feuerstein. You don't feel bad for her. This was her moment. That's right. That's right. You're right. Yeah. <sighs> What's the answer, Nick? Mandy Manila. Bravo. Mandy Manila. Oh, she's just so nice, right? Man nice Mandy Manila. Come on. Yeah. Everyone likes nice players. It's sad to see, it's sad to see people retire. I don't like it. I don't I really don't like it. Everyone should just yeah. play till they're 60 and it's Yeah, you know. it's very sad. It was sad, yeah. Mm. Alize, that 2018 title, it seemed like a very special one for you. We don't have to go into all the details here because they're actually quite complicated and you lay it all out mm. very nicely in the book. It has to deal with the ITF and a big misunderstanding about taking, uh, you know, a scheduled drug test. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but you do a much better job in the book. Needless to say, it all worked out for you. So thank goodness, you know? Yeah. I'm sure you're very proud of all your titles, but is that 2018 title feel a little more special knowing what you had to go through that year? Yeah, it did. It did, definitely, because it was a very, very tough year. I had a six months of nightmare because of this uh, three no-show. And when I was cleared with the no-show and I could get back to my normal life as an athlete, 
Um, one month later, I win this title in Kstat. It was such a relief, you know. It was such a no. Yeah, I was I was very proud and very. I don't know how to explain, but you know, when you kind of know the worst, then you just appreciate the best even even more. And uh, that's what what happened yeah. on that title in Ingstadt. I I went through such tough moments, and and right after I had this title, and it was well deserved because I I was seen number one, and I I beat all the players in straight sets, and uh, but. The fact to do it, you know, it just showed a really big mental strength. And uh, it showed one more time that, you know, I was there, I was fighting all the time and uh, and and how I love tennis because I could have quit tennis after that like a hundred times, but I didn't. So that was, it was very sweet. Very special. What a great, what a great title. I mean, come on. The next few years on tour would get a bit hazy for all of us because of COVID. But in 2019, you had some great wins against Sabalenka and Svitolina. 2020, you beat Kennan. And let's talk about 2021. We're here right now. You've had a great season so far. Congratulations. You beat Kasakina in Dubai, Kuznetsova in Miami, Mertens in Charleston. Phenomenal grass court wins this year against Muguruza and Andreescu twice in Berlin and Wimbledon. These are the top players in the world, Elise. I mean, this is quite amazing. What keeps you so motivated after all these years training and finding the passion? Uh, I think just the, the the love of the game and the love of this uh, emotion that you feel on the court and then and, and the grind and the, the I don't know. It's um, nothing can beat that. I think at least for me in my heart and uh, the fact to beat all these top players. It's really nice. And at the same time, it's a little bit frustrating because I know that my level is there. My tennis can beat this player, but still I'm not ranked like them. You know, I'm 16 in the world and I, I wish I could be better. So I keep working also because I still have hope, you know, to climb up in the ranking and maybe to join this player at the top of the ranking. And I think that that's what pushes me every day to work hard and to be better is because I want to be a better player, you know, uh, in in every in every sense of the way, in in my behavior on the court, in in the way I play, in my ranking, and yeah, that that's the only thing that that pushes me now is uh, trying to have my ranking fitting my level on some matches, you know, and trying to erase a little bit this um, inconsistency that I can have. That would be that's also a good goal for the end of my career. It helps when you're beating Grand Slam champions and you're getting to the finals of Chicago a few months yeah. ago. I mean, that's amazing. That's some great wins. It's so inspiring. Also, this past 2021 US Open marked the 59th consecutive Grand Slam that you've played. That dates back to 2007. It is such a testament of how you schedule and take care of yourself. It's remarkable. If you play in Australia, which I'm confident you will, because you already said you're going for 500 wins, <laughs> that'll be 60 consecutive Grand Slams. Mm. You already have the record for active player, but Schiavone is at 61. And then you have the ladies record right now is Aisugiyama. Aisugiyama. I know. I'm going for you, Hai. Yeah, Hai. <laughs> but I don't think you should stop there, by the way. I think you should keep going. We don't need to stop at Aisugiyama. I think we need to take the record. 72 is the record with Feliciano Lopez. I think we keep going. Oh, yeah, right. I think we, that's the 2025 Australian Open. That's like, you know, it's not too far away. Yeah, but you know, if I already tie uh, Sushiyama's record, I would be happy because as you say, it's not easy not to miss a single Grand Slam. You have to be healthy all the time. You have to be in the main draw all the time with your ranking. So... It's pretty much a good challenge, so I will... Well, no, no. You may have... You said something that I didn't like. 
Nick, I don't know if you heard it too. You said if I tie Sugiyama's record, which means uh, the French Open next year, we're not even going to say anything. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that was through, uh, if you slipped out or if this is like... Okay, do you want me to say when I will tie Sugiyama's? <laughs> when you beat Sugiyama's record. Yeah, but then then, then the, the rest of my sentence doesn't make sense. <laughs> I think people were just more focused that you were going to tie her at the French Open and then say goodbye. That was what we were listening to. So, okay. Okay, I don't know what to say anymore. Okay, I'll, I'll... Okay, this is your that's your life. We'll we'll figure it out. We heard it here first. We'll keep going. We'll, we're gonna appreciate every single moment of Alize Cornet is what is what the point of this conversation is. So all right. Well, congrats, Nick. You are the champion of fan versus favorite today. I mean, amazing, amazing job. Bragging rights for you. This week. Yeah. How awesome. We're wrapping up today with the fantastic Alize Cornet. We always finish each show with a question from the player's biggest fan. So, Nick, the floor is yours. The last question today. Ooh. Thank you. Um, so Alize, in your book, you talk so eloquently about being a perfectionist, how much meditation has helped you. And number one, I appreciate how honest and vulnerable you were in the book, that it really spoke to me very, very much. Thank you. The thing that I want to ask you is, do you enjoy winning more than you hate losing or vice versa? Because I think it's an interesting kind of mental battle that we kind of face on the court. Sometimes we love those emotions from when we win as somebody who hates losing more than anything in the world, great minds alike. I was wondering where you sit with that. It's a very good question. It's a very good question. I think, unfortunately, I hate losing more than I like winning because this feeling lasts for longer. You know, when you win a match, you're like happy, but it's like a, a it's like a push of adrenaline that you have for maybe 10, 15, uh, 30 minutes, one hour maximum. And then it goes away and then you have to focus on the next match and, and that's it, you know, it's behind you. But when you have a loss, I keep it like so much longer inside of me. I think that's why sometimes on the court, I'm a little bit too conservative. It's because I think about not losing and not going for the win. And this is this is changing everything in the mentality, you know, when you just go for the win or you're just afraid of losing. And I'm working on it for years now, but it's, you know, it's, it's very much deep down inside of me. And this is something that is really hard to change. But I, it's a, it was a really good question. Oh, wow. Wow. Guys, what a fun hour today. This has been so amazing. I want to thank my guests for joining us today. We learned so much. Oh, so much. I hate that it's going to end. You can find Nick on Twitter at NickBellew1125. Thank you, my friend. What a great chat today. It's been so fun. Yes, thank you. Enjoy your vacation in Cyprus. Go do something fun. Tell us all about it later. <laughs> thank you, Nick. It was really nice to meet you. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Our guest today can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Alize Cornet. Alize's book, Transcendence, Diary of a Tennis Addict, is currently available in both French and English and can be found everywhere you buy your favorite books. I bought mine on Amazon. Alize, thank you so much. That was my pleasure. Good luck to the rest of the season for you. I, I wish you nothing but quarterfinals. So <laughs> thank you, John. I'll try my best as usual. While you're on Instagram, shoot me a DM at John Garika. Let me know who you're a big fan of. Also, don't forget to follow us at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at Fan Tennis Pod. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we would love and appreciate a great review as well. Thank you so much. My name is John Garika, and thank you for listening. This has been fantastic. <laughs>